and welcome to the Teen Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Sammy, and today we are talking with authors Jill and Dave Henry all about the college transition. Hey, you guys, before we get into today's episode, if you're not registered for Connected and In Control, get registered. I have a few spots left and we're going to have so much fun. Class starts June 23rd. If you'd like to register, just go to the show notes and the link is in there. Okay, here we go. Here's today's episode. Hey, you guys, welcome to the podcast today. I have two two co-authors slash coaches on the podcast today, and they wrote this incredible book. It's called The Greatest College Health Guide You Never Knew You Needed. And so in their book, you guys, they cover so many things about the transition to college and how there's a lot of things that you don't know that you probably should know that nobody teaches you when you, when you head off to college. So they're going to talk to us about some of those things today. I am going to let them introduce themselves and um, you guys, Jill and Dave Henry, go ahead and tell us what you guys are all about. Perfect. Well, my name is Jill. Um, I'm a former high school math teacher. I'm going into my 15th year coaching high school girls cross country. Um, Dave and I actually met coaching high school sports. My name is Dave. (laughs) I'm an editor and a producer. I work in film and television, and I still get to kind of participate as a coach on Jill's team. We worked together as a married couple and co-authors on this project, and we're so grateful that we have an opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah, awesome. I've I've enjoyed reading your book just because I've gotten to know your personalities, both of you a little bit. So I feel like I know you, Jill. I think you're hilarious. <laughs> I think I want you to do some of your voices for us on the, on the podcast. They're real. Like I have a whole repertoire. So, <laughs> so, um, I've, I've enjoyed reading your book and getting to know both of you guys that way. So, um, in my experience with a lot of the teens that I work with, it's when you're a junior and senior in high school, there's a lot of attention and a lot of focus on just getting into the colleges that you want to get into and doing all the things that you need to do to get in the prereqs, the volunteer hours, all the extracurricular activities. And so there's so, so much energy and stuff put into just the admissions process and really trying to figure out what college you do want to go to and what you need to do. And then like when you get accepted, it's almost like you get to take this deep breath or if you don't get accepted, then you kind of have to pivot and then figure out what you want to do next. And so I think that part of it is so important, but also along with that, we kind of lose focus on helping the transition for ourselves into college go smoothly and easily. And a lot of times when we get to college, we kind of like it's not as easy as we think it is. (laughs) I mean, I guess from my experience, I guess I can say it wasn't as easy as, as I thought it was going to be. And so that's, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but really that's what your book is about. It's about that transition from high school to college and making sure that that transition goes as well as it can possibly go. Right. I don't know. You guys, give me, give me your guys' two cents on that. No, I mean, you nailed it. I think that one of the things that gets lost in our messaging and in our preparation for that transition is the simple ideas of how do you take care of yourself? So removing the academic pressures and how you succeed as a student, but how do you succeed as a person now that getting enough sleep and exercising and eating nutritious foods and managing your stress and and having to deal with alcohol now that that's all on you. And in high school, we prepare kids, like you said, to apply. And in college, they, they might have some orientation topics on how to succeed as a student, but a lot is lost in that transition of how do you care for your well-being. And so our book was really born out of a request of my senior athletes years ago. Uh, we have a senior brunch we host every year. And in the fall, so kids were both applying to college, but also looking at the end of high school sports for themselves. Cause I have a lot of girls in cross country who just run cross country. So they were starting to face the reality of being done with organized athletics. And one of them really mentioned that she was worried about how to take care of herself on her own. Now that the structure of sports wasn't going to be there anymore. We started talking a little bit more deeply 
And the girls also expressed concern about the things they hear on the news, the college mental health crisis and the statistics on sexual assault and the numbers for drinking related deaths and the freshman 15. I mean, all of that. So they had a lot of concerns that were just personal well-being related. And we talk a lot about well-being in cross country. So that was an obvious connection for them to have with me is you've taught us so much about how to take care of ourselves, but how do we translate that to this new environment? Um, and so that was really what started Dave and my investigation into this topic. And we looked for a book. We thought we'd be able to just give them resources, um, but it really turned out that what we were looking for didn't exist. And so that's when we really um, cautiously decided to take it on ourselves because we knew what an enormous undertaking it was, but also we were really inspired by how necessary it was to get that information to those students. Yeah, it would have been much easier if we had just found a graduation <laughs> present we yeah. could give them. Um, but what we found when we looked for resources online, because almost every single college and university has health information on their websites, and you could Google any of this information and have a million results quickly, is that the presentation of that information frequently was falling on deaf ears, especially for this age group. It's not presented in an engaging kind of way. It's presented in a very clinical type way where let me give you the definition of a carbohydrate. And you're like, well, I'm already falling asleep. And so that, <laughs> that was really the impetus for us was how do we take health information, useful, valuable, essential, essential resources for how to take care of yourself and contextualize it in a way where you'd actually want to keep reading. And yeah. so it became very important to us to use human experiences as a way into these topics. And so we surveyed hundreds of students across the country. It took a very long time. And we're so grateful for the honest and raw, vulnerable responses that we got back, because there's something so much more powerful about hearing a sophomore from UCLA talk about dealing with peer pressure than it is reading the definition of peer pressure or somebody who's in their 30s saying, well, when you're at a party, let me tell you about what you're going to be facing. You know, the problem is that you can't attach any of those uh, ideas to a human. And so we started organizing all of these chapters based on what's the best advice we can collect, practical advice from current and recent grads and then how can we contextualize this information so that you'll read it? And it's not that it's gonna change you forever the first time you read it, but it can plant these seeds so that when you start to struggle with what you're eating or if I'm going out too much, you realize that, oh, I've already kind of read something about this. Maybe I should go back and look at this chapter or you at least have a beginning place where you can kind of take off from there. I love everything that you just said. The teens that I work with, the seniors, in high school, they are just so ready to have a fresh start and start over. Yeah. <laughs> and my thing is, is like, you're still going to have peer pressure. You're still going to have all the same problems that you had in high school in college, right? You're just going to be handling them independently, right? So if you are wanting that fresh start, there's some life skills that you need to start learning now when it comes to peer pressure. And when it comes to learning how much to drink or how much sleep to get or all those things, like the fresh start just doesn't happen the way that we want it to. And so that's why I love like the tools and the skills in this book that you guys are teaching to be able to have that fresh start because it is such a gift. But I think we have to almost have a deliberate fresh start. Right, right. You nailed it. And I think so much of the messaging that these kids get along with the fresh start is like, this is going to be the best four years of your life. And how, what pressure, right? Because the statistics show that nearly everybody feel some version of stress from something in college, whether it's finances, academics, family issues, um, you know, personal appearance is one of them even. Um, and so it's important that students understand that while this fresh start's super exciting, the struggle's inevitable. And that piece ends up getting lost in the messaging for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, parents just want to focus on the positive and students want to focus on the positive. And it is such an exciting time. The back end side of that is that if we don't prepare students for the fact it's hard, they can think they're the only ones struggling. And so that, to get to Dave's point, was why it was so important that we surveyed students is we wanted to have a collection of voices that were like, it's hard. That's okay. 
um, it's a huge transition and it's hard for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, and so normalizing that struggle is something that we felt was super important so that students were prepared for it rather than blindsided by it. And what yeah. we've heard that I hope really comes through is that when you have this collective uh, community of voices discussing challenges in a way that's open, it doesn't feel like you and what you need to do is this. It right. feels like something all of us have to deal with and you're gonna struggle with your health really for, I, don't, I shouldn't say you're going to struggle with your health for your whole life, but you're going to have to make choices every right. single day that will affect the way that you feel. And that doesn't go away when you're out of college. <laughs> yeah. And so starting in a place where you at least have a little bit of guidance of what can I do to make myself feel better is just a, a better way to go in prepared. Well, I'm going to say what you just said. I'm going to basically say you are going to struggle with your health every single day. And you're going to struggle with being happy because that's not normal. Like your brain just doesn't want to be happy. And that's something that I stress all the time with my teens is you have to put in the work yes. to be happy and to feel good because that's not a, a normal state. <laughs> That's not where we habituate. It's just like yeah. a happy, feel good state. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of reasons that students struggle in college and maybe it's worth going through them. And I think we often, when we have conversations with students lead with this, you know, because I think understanding what solutions work for you is important, but first you need to understand where your obstacles are so that when they happen, you're, you're prepared for them best you can be. And I think it's also important for parents to understand why it's difficult so that they're not, they, they can be purely supportive and aren't surprised by their student when they struggle and can be there um, anticipating where they might have issues. So yeah. one of the first things, maybe you hit it with like one of the first things that they struggle with. So your entire life in high school leading up through high school has been structured by other people for better or for worse. And that lack of structure that's imposed on you when you show up to college is what most students are looking forward to, that I have the freedom and I have the independence <laughs> to make these decisions for myself. But you will have so much unscheduled time because classes are spread out. Maybe you're only taking them on certain days of the week but you don't have anybody to tell you, go do this and go do that. So you have the same, if not more obligations and you do have more time on your hands to do it, but nobody's telling you what to do. And that lack of structure, the removal of all those fam familiar structures that you've had can be a really difficult transition for a lot of people. And another important one is a shift in identity. You have an opportunity to reinvent yourself when you go to college and that's great. But that can be surprisingly hard and that can also take a lot of time. Everybody who knows you through 18 that you've grown up with, they've had a lot of years to get to know you and understand you for who you are and to be seen and to be heard for who you want to be uh, isn't something that will happen overnight when you go to school. And so if you were always uh, an athlete or if you were always um, the person who excelled in drama, especially for high achieving kids in any facet to no longer have the comfort of, well, these people know me as this, not just externally what the world is giving you, but for you, what do you care about? If, if you no longer play a sport and you don't have something to pour your time into, the road to figure out what you're interested in and what makes you happy and where you want to invest your time isn't something that you'll have figured out in the first week, most likely. And so the patience of, yes, this will take time, but just the preparedness or the preparation of understanding that it might take me a while to figure these things out, that's going to be hard and it's going to be okay, uh, is, is a message that not everybody hears. Well, and you know, uh, just to add to that point, we also don't get a lot of opportunity to practice those things, to practice scheduling our lives or to practice thinking or, or to take the time to think about like, what, what hobbies do I really love? In high school, you really don't have a lot of time for hobbies, unfortunately. And so get, getting to think about if I could spend my time any way I wanted to spend my time, but still be productive, still take care of myself, what would that look like? Um, and so, you know, we, students don't get a lot of opportunity to practice that. So to Dave's point, um, preparing them for the idea that you're going to be practicing it as you're doing it. And by the very nature of that, you're going to make some mistakes. And so anticipate that freshman year being bumpy, um, but you'll begin to refine and you'll learn. And that's, you know, 
you're be it's you're beginning from infancy, so to speak, in your independence. And we have young kids. And so, you know, we talk to our four-year-old all the time when he makes mistakes. It's like, of course you're making mistakes. You've never done this before. And communicating that to kids to take some of the pressure off that the discomfort is there because you don't know how to do this yet. Nobody's let you have an opportunity to do this yet. Hopefully gives them a little bit of freedom to make mistakes without judging themselves um, when it's uncomfortable, when it's hard. And for parents to recognize Of course, they don't know how to do this. And so just be there for them and support them and let them fail, because the only way they will learn how to take care of themselves is if you back off and let them be on their own, Um, which it's easy for us to say our kids are young. We're not there yet. And I'm sure it's incredibly difficult as a parent of a high schooler, um, you know, transitioning to college to like take a step back. But the only way they will learn independence is if they're given the freedom to be independent. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I work with parents who will come to me and they'll talk to me about their college age student and tell me like, Hey, they're failing all their classes, their first semester there. And I'm like, okay, they're failing all their classes, but they're getting to the grocery store and buying their own groceries. They are working out at the gym. They are getting some sleep, right? There's so much more learning that goes on when you go to college just besides the grades. And I think that's something that we need to look at as a whole, because there's so much for one person to take on when they go to college and they may not be like, quote unquote, getting the right kind of grades, but maybe they are excelling in some other areas where they, they are showering, right? They're getting out of bed. In the morning. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, there's these things that we need to recognize for college students just besides the grades. 100%. And, you know, one thing I'll throw in there that we found interesting in the research is that age is a really tough age. So take us, take out the fact that this, you know, freedom is new for them. That 18 to 22 age is the average age of onset for generalized anxiety disorder and first depressive episode and um, disordered eating and alcohol abuse. And so strictly from the age at which they go to college, they're open to experiencing some new real challenges that they've never experienced before. And they're doing it in an environment where they're building a new support system from scratch. Like parents are still checking in, but what you get in a few minute phone call or some texts might not be the whole vulnerable truth. And so they really have to learn not only how to take care of themselves, but also how to be honest about how they're doing, which is a new thing because they haven't necessarily had to check in and self-assess because they've had their parents and their coaches and their teachers and their friends to be like, Hey, you don't look like you're doing so good. That's gone. Um, because everybody else around them now is also struggling. (laughs) So, so, you know, circumstantially, it's a really challenging transition. And so we don't need to harp probably more on the, the challenges of it, but I think it's important for everybody going to college and their parents to recognize it's hard for everyone. And, and that's something that gets lost in the messaging that needs to be recognized. Yeah. And just, just the sole nature of what you're doing is hard. Well, it's um, I think those support systems when you're home are so valuable, even when they're subtle and when mm-hmm. they're small, because if you don't have a parent saying, Hey, it's late, go to bed. And you don't have a teacher being like, you didn't turn in your homework. What's going on? You're not going to get that same kind of one-on-one attention at many first-year uh, classes in most colleges. And like maybe even biggest is just having, like Jill said, a friend who can say, you don't look so good, dude. <laughs> What's going on with you? You know, and, and so having, <laughs> having to be your parent, your, your teacher support, your friend support, because you're in many cases starting off in a place where you don't know anybody when you show up that first day, that's a lot to take on. And not to make this sound like it's, it, it will be overwhelming. It's just that it, it can be. And the more you can start thinking about some of these things, yeah. the easier that transition will be when you're there and you're like, oh yeah, I thought about it. this. I heard it was going to be hard. This is hard. <laughs> Yeah. This feels, yeah. this feels hard. So I guess I'm doing it right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love that. I remember being in college and one of my roommates wasn't doing so good. And I was like, um, I think I need to call your mom. 
Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to do with you. Maybe I should call your mom, but like you're surrounded by teens still that have no idea how to take care of you. And your mom's not there to see how you're doing, but it's kind of like, we're all learning together. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, good on you. That's your good roommate there. But again, it goes to show that there's so much inexperience in that certain, like in that first year situation that your roommate doesn't necessarily know any better than you do how to take care of yourselves. And that's part of what contributes to it being so hard is the examples around you might not be great. (laughs) And because you're over 18, the schools have an obligation not to call your parents. They're like, well, no, this is a, this is a HIPAA thing. We've got a lot of red tape that we have to stand behind for better or for worse. And so you, you don't have those same safety nets in a school environment like you did when you were growing up. So any, any other obstacles that you guys see that are like really prominent when you're heading into college, or are you guys ready to start going over some solutions or ways that we can overcome these obstacles? (laughs) Let's frame it like that. Let's go over the solutions, but frame them of like, this is a solution that you need because this part is hard. So maybe I'll just jump in. So like food, for instance, one of the best things you can do for yourself as you're starting to navigate a dining hall is think about access. So that is something that's controlled in high school relatively because most of your meals are at home. um, I would assume with your family and somebody else is doing the cooking and the grocery shopping. When you go to college, that all changes. And so you have access to foods that you might have regulated a bit differently in high school. Like you could eat pizza two meals a day, seven days a week if you wanted to. Or you could frame your day like I did my first semester of freshman year as like, Pancakes for breakfast, sandwich for lunch, pizza for dinner, which I was just playing a children's chess game with my son yesterday. And that's what the protagonist, Mr. Chompers, ate for every meal. So like, and he was, you know, an enormous chess player. He was the the heavy king, so to speak. But that's, that's how I ate because I was like, I love these foods. Why would I not eat like this? Yeah, there's nobody here to stop me. 100 percent and that so, soft serve machine just goes you can oh, pull yeah, that lever and it's like being on yeah. a cruise the, mm-hmm. the soft serve machine is open 24 hours a day and you can get whatever you want at any time you want what there was a really interesting study we came across in our research from mcgill that basically said that for college students in particular self-regulation is really hard and there's sort of a limited amount of willpower that you have as a person But one thing you can control that is easier to control is access. And so the way that you can think about that as a college student navigating nutrition, if you know this is an area you struggle with, and not everybody will, but I I definitely um, sort of hit rock bottom with figuring out how to eat well, is thinking about limiting access to foods that don't make you feel good in your dorm room. So instead of like always having a fresh bag of Cheetos in your dorm room, maybe make that something that you have to actually put on shoes, walk to the convenience store and like buy when you're really feeling it. Make it a little bit more inconvenient for yourself to get the foods that you know are like your happy foods, but don't necessarily make your body feel great. In our book, we're really careful. And this is a stance that we take as people. You know, there's no bad foods for you. Some just make your body feel less good than other foods. And so as you're learning how to eat, a part of that's really listening to how you feel. And so once you learn which foods don't make you feel great, thinking about how you can minimize access. And so not keeping those foods stocked in your dorm room and then just being thoughtful, even about something as simple as where you sit in the dining hall. Like if you know you have a soft spot for desserts, don't sit next to the dessert table, which is what I did as a freshman. And so as you read these things about access and trying to minimize it to make good choices easier, simple fixes like that um, can have an effect without a lot of effort. And so we give a lot of other tips in the book um, just about how to manage portion size and indulgences. But I think the simplest one for somebody who's just getting started at school, trying to think about how they can get off on the right track is just thinking about how I can make really good foods convenient for myself and foods that don't make my body feel good, less convenient so that it requires a real desire on my part to get to them um, because then it will take less effort to eat well. And the same thing goes for food delivery apps too, Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the dining hall. If you remove your credit card information from that app so that you have to enter it every single time, maybe, not all the time, but maybe 
the 15 seconds that it takes you to put in that number, you might be thinking like, God, do I really have the money for this? Or like, God, do I really need a cheeseburger right now? I mean, it's three in the morning. Is this really what I need to be doing? Right. Quick side note too. You mentioned fresh bag of Cheetos. Is a fresh bag of Cheetos a thing? Do Cheetos ever really expire? Probably they not. They can survive like a nuclear winter. I meant like right? fresh, like uncracked. Like you haven't opened sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. But don't keep them in your dorm room <laughs> is essentially make yourself get up and have to walk down the hall and down the four flights yeah. of stairs to the vending machine. And then you forgot the quarters. And hopefully in all of that time, <laughs> you're like, okay, maybe I could just go to bed. Yeah. My biggest thing in college was I'd get hungry. And then in the vending machines, there were these sugar cookies with pink frosting and they were just like, the texture was so good. And so it's like, in between classes, if you got hungry, like everybody would have a sugar cookie. I would be smelling them and I'd be like, I think I need a sugar cookie before next class because there's no other food around except for the vending machine with all the sugar cookies. I don't know. I was just thinking they're like planning or like, what, what can you do about that? That's, that's a great point. One of the things that we suggest in the book is planning snacks because what you're keying in on is really huge of, it can be those little in-between things like a sugar cookie might be 300 calories. And we're very oh, I careful think they to not like 550. Yeah. 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 And yeah. not even just calories, but then like 50 grams of sugar, which I think we talk about this a lot in the book. Access to sugar is one thing that is tremendously different in college than in high school for most kids, because there's, there's dessert at every meal between like your pancakes and your muffins at breakfast, and then huge dessert tables at lunch and dinner. Um, and then snacks you can pick up along the way. So to get to your point, planning for snacks is a big one. If you can sort of make sure that you're never really, you know, desperate, right? It's when you're desperate for something, when you're really hungry, that you're like, whatever, the sugar cookie's easy. It's right there. So it's trying to make sure that you're, you're never starving um, and you're planning between meals. You've got nuts, you've got, or you know, places on campus where you're like, I know I can get an apple there. I know I can get pretzels there. So it's both an awareness of like, what are my good, what are my good sources of fuel? And then where on campus can I get them? And that might be like the second step, right? If you get to school and you're like, all right, I know I'm going to not keep garbage in my dorm room. I want to lock down my nutrition a little bit more. Now I'm going to start planning a little bit. Like I'm going to find my, my go-to breakfast, or I'm going to get two or three breakfasts that I can rotate that I know don't make me feel like garbage. Same with lunch, because those tend to be sort of the standard, like they have standard offerings every day, dinner menus sort of switch up. But if you could just lock down breakfast and lunch with good meals that, you know, make you feel good, give yourself a little bit more freedom with dinner because that tends to be more unpredictable. Eat the lasagna. But, uh, but again, I think with food, it's as with all things health related, it's very much trial and error. Um, people's bodies respond differently to different foods. And a big part of it is quantity more than anything, more than your choices. It's like, you could eat fries. If you eat two plates of fries, you're going to feel like trash. If you eat a reasonable serving, you might not feel anything, but it's, it's touch and go with that. And so a part of learning how to eat on campus and how to eat in general as a person is just being in tune, in tune with how something made you feel, which is hard, harder than it sounds. Cause in order to do that, you have to block out all the noise and really take a moment to reflect on how do I feel? What did I eat? How much did I eat? And why am I feeling that way? Um, and not just how you feel physically, but how you feel mentally, which we'll get to later. Cause there's a whole piece on preparing, um, learning how to self-assess, which relates to food, but also like every other domain of wellness. So that's what I would say on that. I think the planning thing is a great second step as you're starting to even refine more your nutritional choices. Another kind of dependable place that people find challenges is college is often the first experience for lots of students to have access to alcohol. And whether they're underage or whether they wait until they're 21, frequently they haven't had, they haven't been exposed to information that lets them know like, okay, alcohol is a poison. And if you drink too much alcohol, you will suffer from alcohol poisoning. And as sad and as scary as it is, somebody dies every single year on a college campus because they don't know that if I drink too much of this at once, this could kill me. And, you know, I know that's a, a little bit of kind of a shocking thing to hear, but it's really important if you've never had a, a, an exposure to alcohol, the most dangerous time of year is freshman year, the beginning of the school year, 
That's why you'll see ambulances outside of dorm rooms is because there's so many kids that have, that have not had access to this. And now all of a sudden it's everywhere. And you mix that with the energy of like, we're here. We've been waiting for this moment. Let's party. You know, I, I may or may not have been like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, what's something that is lost in that wait till you're 21 or abstinence kind of mindset when it comes to alcohol education is understanding that every person has a limit that is dangerous if you cross over. And this is based on your gender, it's based on your, your weight, it's based on a few other factors um, like drinking history or, or there's some genetic components to it. But basically, if you pass a certain number scientifically, all of the positive effects of alcohol, the, uh, the euphoria, the excitement, the kind of loss of inhibition, we're having a good time, all nosedive into some really scary feeling things. And so just some basic understanding of, well, how do I calculate my limit? Let me look at my weight, let me look at my gender and let me understand that within an hour, I can't have more than two drinks or within four hours, I, for my weight, I can't have more than four drinks. And having those kind of understanding of, of what your limits are allows you to set some intentions about, okay, well, I'm only gonna go out, I'm only gonna party twice a week. And when I go out, I'm gonna try and limit myself to a certain number of drinks. And because I'm going out with one of my friends, I'm gonna be like, hey, this is my plan for tonight. Keep an eye out on me. I'll, I'll keep an eye out on you. And just those kind of simple steps could prevent something catastrophic from happening in your life, um, could help you stop yourself from hurting yourself or be aware of when you see people who might be so intoxicated that they could hurt you or others. Um, so that's another area of, because we don't have exposure to alcohol in a way in high school because it's illegal and because we're living under our parents' roof, it can turn into such a free-for-all when we first show up on campuses that taking some simple steps of understanding your body, your size, and what alcohol will do to you will help you tremendously, especially in the beginning part of college. You crushed it. <laughs> yeah. There's more for us to talk about. I'm ready to go drink. I've never drank <laughs> You're, you're not, you're not missing out on, on a ton. I've kind of, I've, I've seen the full gamut. I've seen the spectrum. If I could go back and be like, ah, do I really need to? I don't think I would be any worse off for avoiding all of it. So I think you're good. You know what I, the only thing I'll say on drinking is we don't get an education on it. We don't get an education. I would say we don't get the education that we need of like, all right, you have a choice about whether or not you drink. Yes, it's illegal, but like know these numbers and it's an uncomfortable thing for parents to talk about because that's a, it's a like tricky line, right? Because it is illegal and some parents don't approve of their kids drinking. Um, but I feel like society wise, we sort of have an obligation to prepare these kids for that. Um, because of what Dave said, they don't know any better and eating a lot of bad food is not going to kill you. Um, if you overdo it with alcohol, that has some serious consequences, which Dave said before. And so that part of the education um, needs to happen somewhere because it's not, it's not getting across to students in the way that it should. And so we really spent a lot of time in the alcohol chapter in the book trying to get the tone right to not endorse it, but to also provide an education that was more meaningful than it's illegal, don't do it. And yeah. a lot of it was just rooted in like, know your body. And this is science. Um, it's not so much about like touch and go, feel it out. It's really like, there's a number you shouldn't go past for your body you need to memorize that number and pay attention to it when you drink. I think it's also important to understand the reason why we drink in the first place. And that reason totally. is so totally generalizing here. <laughs> this is a broad generalization, but the reason that we drink is to avoid emotion. And do we need to drink to avoid that emotion? Or can we really feel that emotion like social anxiety or awkwardness or the feelings that we feel around other people? Like that's what alcohol helps us with. So we don't have to feel those emotions and really understanding that those emotions are okay to feel. And we really don't need alcohol to protect us from those emotions. We're going to be awkward and anxious no matter what. That's <laughs> That's just how things go. That's how we are as humans, right? Yeah. Well, and another reason for many college students is to fit in. They feel like this is what everybody's doing. And in order for me to belong in this room with these people, well, I must have to participate in this. 
And one of some interesting information that came out in the research that we did is that a quarter of all stu college students don't drink at all. And so it's not to say that you're going to be completely left out. And we heard such a heartening quote from a student who I believe was a freshman or a sophomore that essentially said, I was really scared people were going to force me to do something I didn't want to do. Like to, I, to drink. To drink. Yeah. And I went to a party and I said, no, I actually don't want to drink. And people were like, oh, that's fine. Uh, there was some other stuff here. And it was like this huge balloon uh, that she could let out of a sigh, understanding that that wasn't uh, necessary for her in their eyes. And for her, she felt almost completely empowered, like, oh, okay, I can stand up for myself. I can say these things. And to have that message be communicated by a current college student, again, rather than somebody who's in their 30s about like, well, you just stand up to peer pressure. It'll be super easy. I can promise you. Um, was it, it just felt so good to read that and to know that that is, that is possible. Yeah. And, and the only other thing we said in our book about that is like, if you don't want to drink and you're with people who are pressuring you to do it, find new friends. There's a lot of people at your school. You don't need to be hanging out with people who are trying to make you do something you're not comfortable with. And if you're in the phase of reinventing yourself, even more reason to be like, I'm going to be, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm not going to let my choices be dictated by others. Um, and so empowering in two ways, like Dave said, there doesn't seem to be, well, I, I would put it this way, at least the students that we surveyed didn't seem to get the pressure that they thought they would. And one of the messages we really fought to put out is like, screw them. Like if people are trying to push you to do things you don't want to do, move on and find some new friends. That's the beauty of college is that everybody's looking for new friends. Yeah. So don't stop short of trying to find your people. Um, Cause it's a great time in life to really lock down who you are, who you want to be and surround yourself with other people who support that. And I think just going into college, I was coaching a, a teen boy the other day. He's off to college and we made a list what kind of friends are you looking for when you yeah. head, head to college? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, you need to have a list, right? You need to know what you're looking for. That way, when you get there, you're like, I'll be friends with anybody, but no, you really don't want to be just be friends with anybody. <laughs> you want to find your people that respect you and that love you. And that aren't going to force you to do things that you don't want to do. So, well, and to connect that to wellness, the habits, again, another thing we found in the research, um, which is pretty intuitive, the habits of the people that you're surrounded by tend to rub off on you. So if you know that like taking care of myself is really important to me or academics is important to me, exercise is important, whatever, uh, trying to surround yourself with other people who have those same motivations, like for exercise, for instance, it's a great one to key in on. Cause it's another place where students struggle because they go to college. And if particularly if they were a three sport athlete, they don't have that anymore. So you're trying to figure out how to replace movement. If you find a friend who's like, I really want to try to work out. Suddenly now you have an accountability buddy. You have somebody you can go to the gym with or sign up for a class with, um, or just like spitball about your workouts with. And so trying to surround yourself with friends who have similar ideals for how they want to be living their life, it sets you up. I mean, you see it with, you know, a marriage, for instance, like Dave and my habits, they, they inform my habits inform. Dave's I get advice. up early now, but, but, but truly like your core group is uh, oftentimes what will end up informing the way that you do things. And so to your point, Sammy, of if you can identify who you want to be hanging out with based on what's important to you and how you think you want to be living your life, those things will be sort have sort of a symbiotic relationship of good people will help you become the person that you want to be. And so, and to, to piggyback off on that, the next step is understanding what is it that my school offers? What, what do they yeah. have at the fitness center? Do they have classes? Do they have intramural sports that I could go join in? All of those different things that they offer are opportunities for you to filter down the student body population yeah. into people who have similar interests to you. I love that. And so if you want to find somebody who likes to work out at night, maybe going to the gym at night and seeing what kind of classes they have, you've already isolated like these are my people, or at least for this facet of your personality that you're trying to develop. Totally. Or clubs. I mean, you know, again, thinking about the type of people that you want to be friends with, what qualities do they, do they have? 
What's cool about college that is different from like real life in quotes is that you have a bunch of common interest groups. That's your campus is made up of that. And so you can kind of key in on, I'm really interested in fencing. Uh, And that was an athletic one. So pick something else. I'm really interested in chess. Chess. Great. Go to those clubs. It's scary, but that's a great way to meet other people who have at least that one common interest. And you might find out that you share a lot of other commonalities. And so One of the pieces of feedback we got from students like consistently was utilize the resources on your campus from the student health and wellness services to the campus counseling center, to your RAs, to those student interest groups to try to shape your life and try to find the right people to include in your day-to-day life. Yeah. I just remember taking a weightlifting class so I can meet some cute boys. But great. <laughs> That's what I would have done in college. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> I went to those classes. So. Oh, you were the cute boy. All right. <laughs> I'm like, what's the best way to, to meet cute boys? Okay, I'm going to take a weightlifting class. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many resources available to you to find the group that you are looking for. Um, and I like something that you um that you just that you kind of hit on there was colleges they are set up for you to help you succeed in any way that you need help. And so knowing just like where the counseling office is or where the math tutoring lab is, there's help available for you. You just have to go find it for, I bet, I bet like any struggle that you're having on campus with anything, there's, there's a place there to help you. And if you need help, it doesn't mean like you're failing or you're like not being really great at being independent or anything like that. But it's like those resources are there for you for the very reason that you need them for. And, and use that exploration of your campus and what it is that it offers as a break for you. So if you're just not feeling chapter two right now of whatever it is that you're reading and you need to take a break for a little bit, okay, cool. I actually don't know where the student services office is. Maybe I'll go down there or I don't know where they keep the weights for the weight liftings. (laughs) So maybe I'll go find the gym, but you know, it's not something that you're going to figure out right off the bat. But it's so easy to get stuck into this kind of mindset where I'm back in my room and I'm sitting on my bed and I'm on my phone and I'm kind of isolating a little bit. And so in order to break up that routine that's so easy to fall into, um, use that as an opportunity to go explore some part of your campus or some service that your campus offers that you haven't yet had the chance to go see. Well, and the one thing I'll tack on to that, um, I know we haven't gotten to go into depth about like stress or sleep, but one of the skills that students need to develop before they get to college that they can start doing now is self-assessment of taking time every day, whether it's just in their minds, whether it's journaling to think about how am I doing and how am I feeling? So when we have group chats with high school seniors, we'll ask them, describe mentally and physically what it feels like for you to feel bad. And they'll throw out a bunch of different adjectives like, okay, physically, I have a headache. I can't focus. I'm tired uh, mentally. Like I'm grouchy, uh, overwhelmed. overwhelmed. The symptoms tend to sort of overlap. Like they can very quickly articulate what it feels like to feel bad. But what's important in the college setting is providing yourself with time to reflect And starting that now, both the giving yourself some space every day, whether it's something that you do at night or something that you do to take a break during the day, and also working on developing the skill set of checking in. Because to your point about seeking out the help that you might need on campus, you, this is just how it is. Very few people are proactive. Most of us are reactive. And so you need to know when it's time to react before it's crisis time. You want to be trying to seek out some ways to, you know, change up your sleep schedule or to get on a better um, system with your academic workload before you're at the nine out of 10 on the stress scale where you're like, I can't do this. I don't know how to move forward. It's not to say that when you get there, there's not a way out of it as well. But the, the hope is that like, you don't want to be getting there very often. You want to try to catch yourself before you're there, like at the five or the six, be like, I got to do something different. I got to step back. I got to recalibrate. And so 
developing the skill of self-assessment and checking in um, both as the practice and then carving out time is that will prevent so many larger struggles. If you, if you can check in, I know I need to do something differently and then look to your campus or to yourself or to our book on like, or to a coach of, all right, now I need to figure out how to course correct. Like, I know I'm in trouble. Now I got to figure out what to do about it. Yeah. Um, part of finding those resources is knowing when you need them. And it's, it's something you can start doing right now. You don't need to wait until you're off in college. And most frequently, this kind of check-in of how do I feel right now, we kind of gravitate towards the most severe examples. Like I know how I feel after I eat a whole pizza, or I know how I feel after I stayed up all night long on an all-nighter. But just a general kind of check-in with yourself, how do I feel right now? And then kind of at least once a week, what did I, how did I do this week? Yeah. How, how did I do? Did I get enough sleep? Did I get the work done that I need to get done? Those uh, questions that you ask yourself are so important to develop that skill because like we mentioned before, you're not going to have a lot of the same kind of uh, structures in place to help keep you on track. And because so much of it falls on your shoulders, being able to honestly, without judgment, say, I did terrible this week. I had a bad week. It was bad, but I got next week. And I know I didn't get enough sleep. So maybe I need to sleep more. And I know I didn't get my schoolwork done. Okay, so maybe I need to focus more time on school. Just that ability of kind of checking in routinely can help avoid, like Jill mentioned, arriving in crisis without any kind of understanding of how it is that I got here or feeling overwhelmed by all the steps that I feel like I have to take in order to get out of this, rather than just kind of incrementally seeing well, how did I do this week? What can I do differently next week? Yeah. And I think you'll see a lot of students come home after like semester break and they're like, that semester was terrible. And they've lived in sort of misery or discomfort for an entire semester, but didn't have time to realize that it was so bad or that they could do something about it. And so that's why building in those little checkpoints for yourself every day or every week is super important so that you're you're not wasting time so that you can, you can spend time feeling good and doing things that are good for your body rather than waiting for the big break, the summer break, the winter break to be like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. And I need to do better next time around, you know, because you always have an opportunity to, to course correct and to feel better. And so it's important to recognize that that as an opportunity and to build in time to figure out like, do I need to make changes regularly? And not waiting till you're three weeks behind in your physics class with all your physics homework. And then you're just like so overwhelmed that you can't do anything, right? Like when you're a week behind, that's the time to get into the physics lab and get tutoring. This may or may not be a true story that I'm telling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing I would add on that though, with overwhelm that we hear a lot from students as feedback is sleep is like, if you're looking for one place where you can correct something to feel less overwhelmed, focus on your sleep first. Um, because you can't, you can't do your schoolwork well, if you're exhausted and you can't really do anything else. Well, if you're exhausted and one of the things, um, a line that we actually had in the book about a psychologist is the first question he asks his patients when they come in, if they have anxiety, they have depression, whatever it might be is he asks about their sleep schedule because that trickles down to everything else. And all of our habits, all of our wellness routines are connected, right? If we're exercising, typically we're motivated to eat better. And if we're eating better, then maybe we're more focused when we're doing work. Like it's all, it's all interconnected. But the one thing that students identify they struggle with the most that has the biggest bang for their buck when they put effort into it is getting enough sleep. Um, and so just in terms of like, when things feel overwhelming, that's a good first place to look and to be like, all right, I'm just going to have two good nights of sleep. That might be enough to recharge you to be like, now I feel like I can make the choice to go to the physics lab and get help. Um, it f- makes things feel less insurmountable when you have the rest and the energy to use your brain to the best of its ability. Cause when we don't get enough sleep, that's one of the first thing that suffers is our ability to focus and process emotions and um, think critically. And so unanimously, I think for college students, that is one of the most massive struggles. And when they look back, things that they, they wish they had changed sooner. I struggled a lot with sleeping in college and had a lot of anxiety around sleep. It's hard because it's not always in your control. You're sharing an apartment with people that come in and out all hours of the night. And <laughs> 
you get woken up and then your sleep schedule gets messed up. I just remember putting my earplugs in, in my room and then turning on the fan really loud because that back then we didn't have sleep machines, like noise machines and just like hoping that I would be able to have a good night of sleep and not get woken up by like roommates running in and being loud or like there was just always that anxious element of trying to get enough sleep and not having it be in my control. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there's a lot to be gleaned from your experience on that because what you can control in terms of your own personal ritual is something that will be absolutely helpful where you're like, okay, I know well, I, w- I wear this kind of thing. I put the fan this close to me. I drink tea or I read or whatever it is that you can develop for yourself. The time isn't going to be the same for everybody of when they know that they want to go to bed. And aside from talking to your roommates and trying to get on the same page of, you know, respect and, and, and how we can set boundaries in a healthy way, what you can control, you know, whether or not they come in at four in the morning and are breaking things on accident, that's not <laughs> within your control, but what you can control will absolutely make it easier for you to fall into a pattern where I, okay, I know I, I think about these things or I, maybe I do some, uh, four, seven, eight breathing, which is a great technique where you, you inhale for a count of four, you hold it for a count of seven, you exhale for a count of eight. And just doing that for like five minutes is so boring <laughs> that you're ready to go to bed. It's something that I personally use because I have kind of an active brain. Um, but regardless of what the technique you choose, if you can develop a ritual that works for you, even if it's out of your control, you know, whatever else happens, it will feel more like it's within your control, falling into a groove that is helpful and sustainable. Yeah. I wish I had this book when I went off to college, actually. (laughs) We we, we may or may not have heard that before. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard it a lot, but no, honestly, it's, this is such good information for anybody heading off to college. Thank you. Yeah. We, uh, we feel, you know, given that my background is in education, I do feel like this is a hole that we have in our educational system. And I would love to see required wellness education be a part of high school or college. Um, but right now the best that we can hope is to just provide a bridge to help kids learn how to take care of themselves on their own. And the lovely thing about that is that's not a college as we said in the beginning, that's not a college um, specific issue. That's a lifelong thing. College is just where you happen to start learning about it for, for many kids. And for some, they learn about it as soon as they get out of high school and go into the workforce or whatever. But that transition from graduating high school to moving on to the next step is fraught with a lot of challenges. And we feel very lucky that we can have any part in helping kids learn how to do it better to hopefully not make the mistakes that all of us seem to have made. Um, that's not to say they won't make mistakes. I think that's another important thing that we try to put in the book is you could read this whole book. You're still going to, you're still going to mess up. You're still going to feel bad. Uh, we co-wrote a health book. We still feel bad, you know, frequently, frequently. The difference. <laughs> I'm okay right now. Yeah. But most days my answer to that is I feel terrible right now. Right. But, but the difference is I that eat with too practice, many cookies. Yeah. 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 But you learn how to quickly get back on track. I think that is the one thing that, you know, age and wisdom um, gives you is just more practice. And so more, you're more prepared for a, the bad feelings, not judging the bad feelings and then knowing what to do to feel better. Um, And so, you know, that's something that we really tried to communicate in the book is like, this is a journey you're going to be on for the rest of your life. If nothing else be very kind to yourself. Um, and all you're starting, all you're doing, all you need to focus on is learning about you. What makes you happy? What makes you feel good? The rest will fall into place. The academic stuff, the social stuff, the relationships. Um, if you focus on your foundation, your core being your wellness, physically, mentally, emotionally, like you can, you can survive anything else. Uh, the, the biggest thing for us all as people to work on is like, How do I make this piece? How do I make this thing, this body, this mind feel good? And when you do that, you are better for everyone else and everything else you put yourself into. And some days the answer might be sugar cookies after class. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like that might be the, look, this is what I need. And it's like, yes, you go eat those cookies, right? But you will also be aware of like, okay, I'm on day 17 of eating the cookies after this one class might have a habit going here. This is something that's making me feel like garbage. Maybe I need to put that down 
until the next time I really need it. Yeah. It's, it's the two things this is the last thing I'll say. It's like developing awareness and ownership and recognizing that as long as you're conscious of the decisions you're making and you can feel good about those or know that you have the power to make different decisions. Um, it's just, it's hugely empowering and will allow you to take care of yourself in a much more effective way for the rest of your life. I want to add one thing onto that, which I think, I think we, we forget to do is that we, at any point in your life, right? Like you were saying, this is a lifelong process is to just step back and evaluate and be proud of yourself for the wins that you did do. Like, Hey, today I got up and I made my bed or I made it to my 7am lab. I wasn't like all awake for it, but I got up and I trudged through the snow and I made it. (laughs) There's, there's so many wins to be celebrated along the way in this transition and opportunities for you to be proud of yourself that I, I think we forget to do that as human beings in general and at any point in our lives, but especially in college where it's easy to be so critical of ourselves because there is so much that we're learning and so many more things that we're taking on. Yeah. And to echo your point too, because I think it's, it's so powerful, regardless of what age it kind of sinks in for you is that those kinds of intrinsic rewards, the choices you make that you had control over. So maybe it wasn't necessarily the the grade or did I get the internship or these kind of big external things that we think of uh, in terms of self-value, in terms of worth, but I made my bed today. I showed up like those kind of things that at the end of the day, you can be like, "I, I did okay today. Like that feeling nobody can take from you. And those are the things that will give you sustained happiness over time that uh, will help protect you when somebody else gets the internship or maybe the grade isn't what you expected it to be, but they're simple grounding things that you have control over that will absolutely affect the way that you feel about yourself. Well, and I will chime in because I'm sitting next to him that Dave's like eyes got watery because it's a powerful thing when you learn that, when you learn just that all that all you need is to figure out what you can do for yourself to make yourself proud, not for anybody else. And that's, uh, man, whenever you learn that, that unlocks a whole lot. And so we have some silly shrubs in front (laughs) of our house. Yeah. And I take care of those things. And I like, it's a little thing. And I know when you're in college, you're probably not taking care of shrubs, right? (laughs) But like, I go out there and I pick up leaves every single day. And I know it's silly, but it makes me feel good to be like, oh yeah, I did that. It's like a calming kind of ritualistic thing. It's like the monk cleaning the monastery with the toothbrush. There's something to be gained there, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, I feel like it's so important to feel proud of ourselves. And just, just one thing to refer back to what you were saying, Dave, is like, it doesn't have to be things that we've done. It can also be things that we haven't done. Like I didn't order a cheeseburger at 3am this morning. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. It can be easily be something that we haven't done. Like we don't always have to be putting in the work to achieve those little things. It can just be like, we didn't do something as an adult who owns a freezer on a night where I don't eat ice cream. (laughs) I am proud of myself. Oh my gosh. That's my husband. Every night he has a bowl sitting next to me in bed. He's a Dave. <laughs> he is a That's Dave. True. Tell me you guys where we can find your book. Tell us all the details. Awesome. So our book is on Amazon. Um, but if you'd like to support indies, it's in a lot of different indie bookstores. Probably the best way to locate it or buy it from an indie is indie bound or a bookshop. And for social media purposes, at Greatest College Health Guide is our social media account for the book. We're really just getting started with this, but we've been doing a cool initiative of having current college students take over two or three times a week and just talk about their transition, their wellness struggles and successes. So someday in the life content, but a lot of just vulnerable commentary about their experience so far. We've had students from all over the country doing it. We're doing it on a semester basis. So we have a few more weeks left in this semester. And then this summer, actually, we're running a summer school class all about preparing for college, little things that you can do to think about your wellness and get ready for that transition. And then we're personally um, Instagram at two coach Henry's. And that's basically just pictures of our dog and our kids. Cute if you're into that type of content. Um, And so, so that's where we are on the internet primarily. 
Okay. And so I will put all of that information in the show notes. When you guys get me your information for the summer course, I will, I will add that. So as soon as you get that link, I'll go back and, um, and add that. If you're listening, check the show notes. If you want to go find them or go buy their book, I highly recommend their book. It's, it's like the college students Bible. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm going to call it. <laughs> like you need it. <laughs> And but it's I, fun. It's yes, fun. It, like it, for it, a health book, it's not, it doesn't feel like a health book. I hope that's right. what our Yeah, no, was. it's super fun. Um, Jill and Dave have, they have great personalities and it comes through in the book. And so it's, it's fun to learn from them and they've got some funny stories. I wish we could just have a podcast where we tell funny college stories. We should. We should. We've thought about it. <laughs> oh. There's a lot of, there's a lot of failures out there. Yeah. <laughs> And there, there's, there's a lot of good ones I have, and I'm sure, I'm sure we can all learn the whole purpose of having this podcast and doing what I do is so that teens can learn from my mistakes, from the knowledge and information that I've learned so that they don't have the unnecessary struggles that I had. You're still going to have struggles. Life is still going to be hard, but sometimes we just make it so hard, so much harder for ourselves than it really needs to be. And so I think, I think it's fun when people can come on and they can tell like, Hey, yeah, I did this or I did that. And if you don't want that to happen, then this is this, these are some things you can do. Totally. Well, thank you for having us on. This was awesome. Such a treat to be able to share about all of this stuff. And hopefully this helps some of the college bound listeners and their parents um, that were here today. So, yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you. If you are interested in my one-on-one coaching programs for teens and their parents, please check out my website, knowingup.com. That's K-N-O-W-I-N-G-U-P.com.